Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hi there. I'm Randa Fattah from ThruLine. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Alexis Madrigal. UC Berkeley may be the world's greatest public university, a prized piece of California's and the American higher education system that remains the envy of the world. But it's also beset by the larger problems of the Bay Area, namely a housing crisis. So to comply with the judge's ruling, Berkeley may be forced to admit 5,000 fewer students this year, and the university's ability to build any desperately needed new housing is imperiled. We'll talk about it, and then we'll talk with KQED's Luke Sai about Richmond's food scene, the latest in our series on the Bay Area's food cultures. That's all next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. Who boy. How did we get to this point with UC Berkeley mailing out letters to prospective students that the university will be admitting thousands fewer students than originally projected? We'll need to walk back through the history of the university's growth, the city of Berkeley's problems, the expansion of the ambit of the California Environmental Quality Act, and, of course, why we haven't built enough housing in our region. To do that, we're joined by Lydia Sidholm, a first year at Berkeley and a reporter at the Daily Cal. Welcome, Lydia. Hi, thank you so much for having me. We're also joined by Francis Dinkelspiel, founder of the irreplaceable Berkeley side, who's been covering this issue. Thanks for joining us, Francis. Thanks for having me. Francis, let's start with you. Can you just walk us through the basics of what's happening here? Like, how did this court end up intervening in the Berkeley admissions process? Yeah, it is a long convoluted story, but it starts around 2005 when UC Berkeley had just completed a long range uh, development plan saying that it was only going to have about um, 33,450 students. But then the region stepped in and said, hey, we need to enroll more students in our university. And they ordered Cal to increase its enrollment. So over the next uh, uh, decade or so, Cal admitted about 11,000 more students to the university, but it never sort of formally acknowledged that it was increasing enrollment. Um, And uh, until it decided to study the increased enrollment as part of another environmental impact report for development on campus. Hmm. And so this sort of led to a lot of confusion and a bunch of lawsuits. How would it even have formally acknowledged that it was growing more than anticipated? Well, it could have uh, started talking to uh, the city of Berkeley earlier that uh, it it had increased its enrollment by 11,000 students. 
Also, Cal could have done a separate environmental impact report on the growth of the students, and maybe it would have avoided a lot of the legal complications. So the city of Berkeley has also been involved on this issue. Obviously, adding 11,000 students to the city has an impact on city services, et cetera. What's the city's current position vis-a-vis the university, given that they have a long history of both you know, a, a lot of conflict and, and also understand that they're in a symbiotic relationship? So in 2019, the city of Berkeley filed a lawsuit against uh, UC Berkeley over this enrollment increase. And, you know, it was uh, complaining that uh, it had huge impacts on police and fire services, you know, the housing uh, market in Berkeley, et cetera, et cetera. However, in July, Cal and Berkeley entered into a new settlement agreement that uh, more than doubled the amount Cal was going to pay to Berkeley for the use of its services. So instead of paying 1.8 million a year, uh, Berkeley is now UC Berkeley is now paying 4.1 million dollars a year. It adds up to almost uh, like you know 86 million dollars over the term of the agreement. So Berkeley said, you know, this this works for us. Uh, we want more payment to mitigate the impacts. And we think getting money from UC Berkeley is better than staying in a legal battle over CEQA. So Berkeley, the city, pulls out of the, the lawsuit. It doesn't want to you know, continue with its lawsuit. But a neighborhood group, um, and of course, like neighborhood groups can be kind of anything. So a set of, a set of people um, decide to continue pressing with this lawsuit uh, around the environmental impact report for this development. What ends up happening? So yeah, this group called Save Berkeley Neighborhoods continued in its uh, legal battle and uh, a judge in Alameda County Superior Court uh, decided that Cal had done an okay job on the EIR concerning the development of housing in the Upper Hearst project, but that it had really done an inadequate job on examining the impacts of the increased enrollment. In fact, Judge Seligman was quite harsh on UC Berkeley saying that it had abused its discretion in not studying the impacts of its environmental, uh, excuse me, not studying the impacts of its enrollment growth. Hmm. Meanwhile, the university fires back, right? Like, well, we don't even know how we would assess our impact on say homelessness in Berkeley, right? Well, at first, UC Berkeley said, ah, this is easy. We're going to be able to um, uh, comply with Judge Seligman's rules, laws. They then appealed it. The appeal didn't really work in UC Berkeley's favor. Um, And now UC Berkeley has acknowledged that it hasn't even uh, tried to do a new environmental impact report as ordered by Judge Seligman in August 2020, because it's waiting to have the whole court of appeal hear this whole thing. So at first, Cal said it wasn't a big deal. Now it's saying uh, it is it is a big deal. Yeah. And that eventually has led to this pause in or not even pause, kind of a rollback of enrollment at the school pegged to certain levels uh, that ends up translating to admitting 5000 fewer freshmen and enrolling 3000 uh, fewer freshmen next year. Lydia, what's the reaction been like for students to this whole uh, fracas? Yeah, so I think that students have had really um, kind of a synonymous reaction to this. I think most students are against it. And 
a lot of uh, students that I talked to really pinpointed um, the fact that the neighborhood group, Save Berkeley's Neighborhoods, kind of uh, urged Cal to admit less international and out-of-state students. And most of the students I talked to really highlighted that, saying that the Berkeley experience is, you know, this this diversity of perspectives and, and different personalities that you get. And they're really worried that, you know, admitting um, just in-state students will will thwart the diversity that we have here and um, prevent future future bears from being able to experience that. And I think that was a sentiment shared by by a lot of students mm-hmm. mainly. Well, and I think my understanding, too, of the university's finances are that uh, international students in particular, but also all out-of-state students, really help fund the university, too, right? Yeah, for sure. And uh, the ASUC um, External Affairs Vice President, James Weichart, um, he, he definitely highlighted that um, this will result in $57 million worth of lost tuition, I'm pretty sure. And um, this would ultimately, you know, impact the university's ability to to deliver instruction and it would impact current students. So, um, you know, as well as the lack of, of diversity that would result in, in cutting uh, enrollment in international students, it would, always, it would also have, you know, this financial impact on the university, which, which translates to um, hurting, hurting current students' experiences as well. That's, that's definitely right. We're talking about a possible enrollment freeze at UC Berkeley after the university lost a lawsuit over its expansion plans. Joining us are Lydia Sidholm, a reporter at Daily Cal, and Francis Dinkelspiel, a reporter and co-founder at Berkeley Side. And we'd love to hear from you. What questions do you have about the relationship between Berkeley the place and Berkeley the university? Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. What do you think about this enrollment freeze? That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or KQED Forum. Or you can email your questions and comments to forum at kqed.org. Lydia, I want to stick with you, you know, as enrollment has increased over the past decade and even before, right, the scramble for housing has always been tough for Cal students. Can you give us a sense of what it's like now, given how high rents are and, and housing prices in the Bay Area? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I remember a, a student I talked to last week um, was talking about her experience applying for housing um, last semester. And it is it is quite stressful. You know, you, you feel that pressure because Berkeley doesn't guarantee housing for any of its students. And um, I think that while a lot of students don't agree with the enrollment freeze, they do agree with the fact that Berkeley has a student housing crisis that needs to be addressed. Um, and yeah, the, the process of, of looking for housing, it's definitely, um, it's, it's not the same as other universities. You know, Berkeley, um, as the neighborhood group um, highlighted, uh, houses the least amount of undergraduates. And I think you definitely feel that as a student, you feel that stress. So um, a, lot of, a lot of students see the need to, um, you know, maybe not in this way uh, address the problem, but, but address the problem. Francis, Francis, why didn't UC Berkeley build more housing over the years? Uh, well, you know, it wasn't just UC Berkeley. The city of Berkeley for a long time didn't approve any housing. I can't answer the question about why they didn't. I can explain a little bit about how much it's built and sort of how the university has responded to the situation. Uh, so since, you know, like 2005, Cal has built fewer than like, you know, the 2,500 beds it had promised to build 
um, uh, in 2005. When Carol Chris became chancellor, she immediately announced that UC Berkeley was going to build about 11,000 plus beds over the next decade or so. And Cal has started to do that, most notably with its project at People's Park. When Cal doesn't have its, own, while Cal doesn't have a lot of its own housing, it has entered in a number of agreements with developers who will build entire apartment complexes and Cal will rent the entire apartment complex. In addition, it, it has a number of uh, arrangements with, with, with developers who are professional dorm builders. So while Cal hasn't directly built a lot of its own housing, it hasn't just stood still and, and thrown up its hands. It has tried to do some things, but it, it is also pledged now to try and build even more housing. Yeah. You know, as you understand it, has our campus, Berkeley, done more or less than the other UC campuses, given the difficulty of the sort of urban environment that it's in? Gee, that's a hard question. I, I mean, I do think one of the major issues in this whole case is that um, people in Berkeley feel Cal isn't as responsive to their concerns as it could be. This is something, however, that is replicated across the UC system. You know, Santa Barbara has had this problem. San Diego has had this problem. You know, it's important to note that Cal is a state institution, so it does not have to comply with local zoning laws. And so the only sort of carrot that any community has is communication and sort of, you know, trying to, uh, you know, call on the good graces of, of, of the university system. So, you know, it, it, it's an imbalanced system. You know, I would think that I, I do think that, you know, Carol Chris has tried to be a good neighbor in many, many ways. But don't forget, UC Berkeley has to run as a business. And it just most recently faced this $150 million deficit that it's trying to close. So it, it needs to also do things in its own interest in order to be sort of a, a sound corporation. A, a viable institution. Yeah, we're talking about a possible enrollment freeze at UC Berkeley after the university lost a lawsuit over its expansion plans. Joining us are Francis Dinkelspiel, co-founder of Berkeleyside, and Lydia Sidholm, reporter with The Daily Cal. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Alexis Madrigal. We're talking about a possible enrollment freeze at UC Berkeley as a result of the housing crisis that they face and the university's loss of a lawsuit uh, over its expansion plans. We're joined by Francis Dinkelspiel, reporter and also co-founder of Berkeley Side, as well as Lydia Sidholm, a reporter at The Daily Cal. And we'd love to hear from you. What questions do you have about the relationship between Berkeley the Place and Berkeley the University? What do you think Berkeley should do? about this student housing crisis, which I think most people agree exists and is serious. Give us a call now, 866-733-6786. That's 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're KQED Forum, or you can email your questions or comments to forum at kqed.org. 
You know, I want to... Lydia, I wanted to ask you a quick question from one of our listeners. Steve writes, and you kind of you kind of mentioned this. I have a high school senior hoping to go to Cal this fall. Will this freeze impact in-state applications? And I guess the, the broader question there is, who doesn't get admitted? Do we essentially allow more in-state students because that's sort of the, the uh, requirement of the university to, to educate California students? Or do we uh, continue in admitting the current mix, which includes lots of out-of-state and international students? Yeah, I think that's a great question. Um, and there seems to be kind of a, a mismatch in, in what, you know, people want to do. So the neighborhood group, you know, was urging for more um, California in-state uh, student admissions. Um, but on the other hand, you know, there is the financial impact of not admitting international and out-of-state students. And I think that a lot of people after this decision are, you know, looking to their kids that are applying this year and next admission cycles and, you know, seeing the impact it has on them. And, you know, we, we're seeing a lot of qualified applicants um, in state or out of state that will no longer have the opportunity to come to UC Berkeley. And um, some ASUC senators here are highlighting- That's the student, that, uh, student government, right, AS? Yeah, ASUC yeah. student government, yeah. Um, they're really highlighting that this um, this decision can have um, disproportionate impacts on low income students and um, first generation students because um, it will impact Berkeley's ability to give um, financial aid to these prospective students. So I think that there is a lot of uh, things going on there to, to consider, not just you know in state and out of state, but it will impact you know all all prospective students. You know, Francis, I wanted to uh, come to you on sort of the the legal question that things are turning on here. This is a CEQA challenge, California Environmental Quality Act. Um, Sabrina Brennan tweets, CEQA advances environmental justice. So why all the hate? Since 2002, CEQA lawsuits have averaged fewer than 200 a year. CEQA should not only be preserved, uh, but strengthened. The other side of this argument, though, is that CEQA in this particular case is being extended quite far and in a, in a somewhat unusual way, right? Well, that's what some people are saying. So what Judge Brad Sullivan said uh, concerning this is that, as I mentioned earlier, Cal's done a fine job in examining the impact of, um, of, of the construction of these buildings for the Goldman School of Public Policy. But by trying to fold in an environmental review of the increase in enrollment, it did a very bad job. Uh, for example, Seligman mentions that um, uh, when it, it was, you know, one of the, you know, the community can respond to an EIR. And when people say bringing in 11,000 plus more students will have impacts on traffic and noise and litter and housing, Cal had responded in portions of the, of the SEIR that, well, these neighborhoods already uh, have a lot of students living in them. And so a few more will not make a big difference. So one of the things I think that is going on here that hasn't really been talked about is I think that there may be some anger among the judges in California about UC Berkeley. Um, that's one example. I can offer you some others. And so, you know, whether or not that's that's the right thing to happen, I think there's some frustration. For example, um, you know, uh, Judge Seligman made this ruling about the enrollment last year, and Cal did not file for an injunction from this uh, ruling in, until January 28th, okay? Uh, and so that was months later. And so the uh, Court of Appeals sort of dinged UC Berkeley for this delay. 
Now, UC Berkeley did let go its lead counsel and hired a new counsel. It said it thought it had automatically appealed. But what you are seeing also in some of these court rulings is a little bit of, uh, of, of frustration with hmm. how the process has gone. Yeah. Few uh, comments coming in. Wanted to get to a few of them. Lynn writes, the country and the world is becoming so much more provincial. Seems like Cal is such an amazing institution. People really should not even live in the whole town unless they're ready to embrace help and support the university. Why do we not hear such sad arguments about Oxford or Cambridge, for instance? Jason writes, as a lawyer and CEQA practitioner, I see this type of case all the time. Don't blame the law, as much of the media coverage on this outcome has tended to do. Blame the decision makers at UC who didn't come clean about the environmental impacts of its 11,000 student expansion. I just think the, the reason people, Francis, seem to kind of balk or, or go to the law is that it's not totally clear on it. Like, what is the definition of environmental in this case, right? Um, does it improve the environment to have those students go somewhere else, right? But in this kind of law, with this law, the, the definition of environmental is quite broad, right? Absolutely. And this is one of the things that UC Berkeley has sort of sent up a, a signal about. Uh, the judge's ruling says that Cal has to study the impacts of its increase in enrollment. Previously, people had interpreted CEQA to say that uh, the impacts of a building needed to be studied. And UC Berkeley has said, now this judge is saying, you know, people are going to have to study if you increase the size of a kindergarten in a neighborhood. They are sounding the alarm that this could actually transform CEQA. Um, and so, you know, I, I don't, I'm not an attorney. I don't know the answer to this, but, um, uh, you know, the judge is saying, and the Court of Appeal did agree that expanding enrollment is something that should and can be studied. So there are some really fundamental questions at play here. Let's get to some callers. Greg from Palo Alto. Welcome to the show. Hi, Alexis. Hey, uh, first of all, I want to say I really appreciate your show's wonderful successor to Michael. I used to call a lot from him. Sometimes oh, I get to you. But, but uh, this program it touches a, a historical piece of information from me. I wanted to add to the conversation. Um, I was a high school senior graduating in 64. You can figure out my age. I'm an old fart. <laughs> and uh, I applied to Berkeley, got accepted. Along with the acceptance letter, they sent me something saying, well, you know, you are accepted, but there's no room at the end. Uh, we don't have any room on campus. And guess what? There's hardly any room in the city. Hmm. Six, 58 years ago, okay, 58 years ago, the same problem. They've had 58 years to fix it. This is nothing new. This has been going on. Yeah. So, you know, you can argue, well, enrollment and all that stuff, but it was back it's then. It's been a huge then. problem for so long. Yeah. I mean, Lydia, what's it like to hear from, you know, a prospective Cal student from 1964 expressing a lot of the same uh, frustrations that you hear from uh, classmates now? Yeah, I think it's um, it, it just goes to show how this is such a deep rooted problem in um, that UC Berkeley has, um, you know, tried to make it seems just these like um, short term short term, you know, solutions for um, we do have the basic needs center now, which has provided, um, you know, some emergency housing, um, especially during COVID and, and funds, but um, these 
problems are are ongoing. And, um, you know, the, the Daily Cal Opinion Department uh, yesterday, they, they published this editorial that said, you know, um, there needs to be long term solutions, because, you know, if, if not, there are going to be people, you know, years in the future, um, just as well, as well as the past that also, you know, are going to, you know, a barrier to going to UC Berkeley is going to be housing. Let's bring in a Berkeley resident. Janet, welcome to the show. Hey, Janet, can you hear us? I think we will have to put Janet on hold there. Let's go to uh, Jack, uh, also in Berkeley. Welcome, Jack. Uh, Hello, and uh, you've had a great discussion, but you've neglected discussing one thing, and that is whether this increase in enrollment is fundamentally a good or bad thing. Hmm. And from the perspective, from the perspective of students' education, I would argue it's a bad thing. The university has increased the number of students from 34,000 to 44,000, let's say, roughly. And now it wants to go up to 46,000. During that period of time, the size of the faculty has remained exactly the same. The teaching assistance budget have been slashed in terms of what the central campus provides departments. And uh, there have been more and more teaching by adjunct professors, by lecturers who may be good teachers, uh, but they're exploited, among other things. And so I would ask the question, and I've been, I'm speaking, I've, you know, I've been part of the campus for many, many years, so I know this first, firsthand. It is impossible to argue that the undergraduate student today is getting as good an education, frankly, as the person 58 years ago did, and certainly 10 or 15 years ago. That's not to say anything about the quality of the students who are probably as smart or smarter and more diverse, and all of that is true. But the idea that the campus should increase its size by one-third without increasing resources in the Mm -hmm. teaching domain, without increasing the faculty, not to mention, of course, the housing crisis, is really ridiculous. It's absurd. Thanks so much. Jack, I want to toss that to Lydia. Just kind of get get current student perspective on, do you feel, Lydia, the sort of stretching of those resources that Jack's talking about, just the, you know, more classes being taught by graduate assistants and, and less sort of available resources per student? Thank you, Jack. Yeah, so um, there was a student I talked to last week that, you know, I was talking to her like as we were in like a flood of people and she came from this huge lecture hall. And the first thing she thought of when I asked her about this was the class sizes and the, you know, inability to to go to office hours and have access to, you know, these critical resources. But I think on the other side of that, there's, um, you know, the, the principle of, of uh, public education is to be able to educate as wide variety of students as possible and and as many students as possible so um and and also there is again the financial implication of not admitting more students because you know the where we get the money to have more resources and have more lecturers is from the tuition that would come from this increased enrollment so i think that um, you know, it's two sides of the same coin, and there there definitely needs to be um, more adequate resources and, and maybe uh you know, these better, better policies and system that UC Berkeley should implement, should it, you know, increase enrollment. Got a uh, bunch of uh, comments coming in. One listener tweets, I'm literally commuting from Santa Rosa to UC Berkeley campus right now because getting on campus housing is impossible. 
Jackie writes, can't we all agree that all these regulations are just nimbyism? Urban and suburban areas are going to grow whether you like it or not. We have elitists out there looking out for their selfish desires, and it's hurting our society. They have their money, and they have their property. They should be satisfied and not try to relegate the rest of the world. On the other hand, we have Nancy writing, the argument that diversity requires admitting out-of-state and non-U.S. students seems weird. California, with its diverse and rich culture, supplies all the diversity one could wish. Mary writes... 30,000-plus students a decade ago, 42,000 now. UC wants 45,000. Where does it end? How many students does UC think it can squeeze into a limited space? At some point, places actually do fill up. Capacity is not unlimited. Most students who apply don't get in as it is now. So for those that think they will be accepted, it's not for the freeze. It still is not likely. Let's bring in Janet from Berkeley. She's back. Welcome, Janet. Hi. Yes, thank you. Um, I, I just need to say, having lived in Berkeley and paid high property tax for many of the services that my family didn't utilize, I think UC Berkeley is actually st- stretching it. I think they have a certain level of, I'm just going to say it, greed. Um, as we know, it's just been discovered recently or publicly discovered that Latinx and African-American students are not easily admitted to UC Berkeley in preference of getting out-of-country students because they can pay full tuition. So even when they were ex- excessively accepting students from out of the country, Latinx and African-American students were not being admitted to UC Berkeley at the rate that they should be. And as a property owner in Berkeley, I think Berkeley UC has to start carrying its own weight with the police department. They utilize the police department, all kinds of public services that Cal doesn't pay for. And you see buildings going up all over that campus that are phenomenal-looking buildings. Why aren't they looking at the housing for their own students? And they need to think about how much growth do they need. Maybe they need to spread out a little further to other cities and have satellite programs. But as far as diversity goes, California has the diversity that UC needs, but UC has chose to go outside of California, and they target certain countries. So there's not a lot of diversity on that campus now, and there hasn't been for decades. So that's not a good story to tell. And as far as finances go, that money is not going to students that are residents of California, that are diverse, that could benefit from financial assistance, even when you were allowed to do excessive outreach to other countries. So I'm not buying it. I think Berkeley needs to figure it out. Uh, They need to hold the line and think about what benefits Californians that are paying for Berkeley in the first place. That's my comment. Janet. Appreciate that uh, perspective. Francis, you know, that to me strikes me as like, you know, the the strong position uh, or the strongest possible statement of the position of the kind of some of the neighborhood groups, right, that that Berkeley coasts off the, the city. Uh, and that the university has uh, overextended itself. Well, yeah, I would say that Janet's position is probably reflective of some of the people who are really upset about what what UC Berkeley is doing. Though I think some of the things she said um, have changed. Uh, As I mentioned, UC Berkeley is now paying $4.1 million a year for city services. So it is contributing to police and fire services. There's one thing I'd love to bring up, Alexis, when everyone is talking about how many out-of-state and foreign students are at Cal. One of the reasons that has happened is over the last uh, few decades, the California legislature has decreased the amount of funding it has put into the UC system, forcing the university to try to uh, seek revenues from elsewhere. And I'm wondering, Cal, California has um, you know, a historic budget surplus right now. 
And I'm wondering if uh, people in the legislature and the governor are considering increasing the amount of money it gives to the UC system and to the Cal State system in order to sort of lessen this urge and push to bring in people from out of state in order to charge higher admission. I think that uh, is an interesting question also because Michael Drake, the president of UC, has announced that uh, the state is growing and UC has to accept 20,000 more new students in the coming years. You know, Nikhil, who's one of our callers who we're not going to have time to get to, wanted to know sort of like what the pie looks like, like what, how much of Berkeley's budget comes from the state. Do we know? I don't know that number off the top of my head, but it used to be the majority, and now it's a, a very slim uh, amount. So UC is forced to seek revenues um, broadly and not from the state. Yeah. Want to get to just a couple last uh, comments here. Uh, Larry Wang writes, I'm an architect and contractor for over 28 years in the Bay Area. The problem is not UC Berkeley nor the students. The problem is the city planning department and CEQA. This is a problem throughout California. I have a project in Berkeley now. The land was acquired in 2013, and we just received the permit in 2020. That's how long it took to build a student housing project in Berkeley. Nancy Van House writes, when I was a UC student in the 70s, a lot of the large old houses in town, especially in the South Campus area, were group housing, mostly students. Now those same houses have been upgraded and restored as single-family homes, which you can see if you uh, go, go biking around the neighborhood. And the last thing, Michael Dix tweets, did the neighbors not realize there was a giant university next door to them when they moved in? UCB's population growth should logically mirror California's. We've been talking about a possible enrollment freeze at UC Berkeley and the student housing crisis there. We've been joined by Lydia Sidholm, a reporter at The Daily Cal. Thank you so much, Lydia. Thank you so much for having me. We've also been joined by Francis Dinkelspiel, co-founder of the irreplaceable Berkeley site. Thank you so much, Francis. Thank you. I'm Alexis Madrigal. This is Forum. Stay tuned for more after the break. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.